Welcome to Raise the Line with Osmosis from Elsevier, seeking solutions with leading experts on how to increase healthcare capacity so people can get the care they need during the pandemic and beyond. Hi, I'm Shivulani. We have rightly spent a lot of time on Raise Line speaking with frontline providers about the challenges they face during the pandemic and the growing crisis and burnout among clinicians. But it's also important to understand how leaders in healthcare are navigating these unprecedented times. And for that, we turn today to Deborah Bowen, who is the president and CEO of the American College of Healthcare Executives. ACHE is an international professional society of more than 48,000 healthcare executives who lead hospitals, healthcare systems, and other healthcare organizations. She's been with ACHE for nearly 27 years and has been its top leader for the past decade. Ms. Bowen also serves on the board of the Institute for Diversity and Health Equity, an affiliate of the American Hospital Association, and she is president-designate of the International Hospital Federation Governing Council. Since becoming president and CEO of ACHE, Ms. Bowen has been recognized by Modern Healthcare as one of the top 100 most influential people in healthcare and one of the top 25 women in healthcare. So, Deborah, thanks for taking the time to be with us today. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. So we always like to ask our guests in their own words to tell us what got them interested in healthcare in the first place. So for me, it, it would have started way back when, you know, I came from a family of musicians and I do not play a note in case you're wondering. Um, so I've chosen to use my creative talent in other ways, but my mother very early on started teaching piano in Chicago and on the West Side. And back in those days, the West Side was very diverse, impoverished. People would, you know, refer to it as sort of a disadvantaged community. This was many, many years ago. But in any case, I realized not everybody has an even playing field in, in life. So, you know, I obviously witnessed many of the disadvantages people had, people who were struggling to make meals, people struggling to do a lot of things. And I really just began sort of a personal commitment to really try and make a difference to even the playing field for people a whole lot more. So I actually began my career as a social worker counseling heroin addicts. Uh, you probably know heroin addicts don't get better. So the rate of recidivism is very, very high. And so then that led me into a policy role that led me into my first association job. And I've always liked the idea of influencing decision makers so that you could expand and amplify your impact across the field and, and frankly, across the world. And so influencing has always been my mantra for leadership. And it's a pleasure to talk with you more about that today. Yeah, no, absolutely. And you've, you've achieved massive scale, obviously, from, from the, those early days as a social worker to now leading ACHE. Can you tell us a bit more beyond what I said or shared in the intro about ACHE, the mission and membership, and then what do you guys offer to those members to help make them as effective leaders as possible for healthcare organizations? So ACHE has been around quite a long time, since 1933. I have not been here that long, although nearly that long. And it's really all about helping people achieve their highest potential. So the vision is to be a preeminent professional society for leaders who are interested in advancing health. We're all about not not only advancing the individuals who comprise our membership, but also the field of healthcare leadership excellence. And we really, you know, 
healthcare is a business, but it's a business with a calling. So this idea of standing for your values, who you are as a leader, integrity, lifelong learning, leadership and diversity and inclusion are all a very important part of our fabric. Uh, we have 48,000 members, 77 chapters all throughout North America, a few international groups as well. And we also have relationships with probably over 340 higher education programs, people who are teaching graduates and undergraduates, you know, different aspects of healthcare, as well as search firms and many others who are in the ecosystem of healthcare leadership. So most of what we do is education and giving career support, giving networking support. It's really at the end of the day about building your relationships, building your community and being the best leader you can be. Yeah, that's amazing and, and certainly much needed. Um, I'm curious, like, you know, given that you're so focused on developing leaders and helping them be the best leaders they can be, how do you define the role of leadership in healthcare? Like what makes a good leader? I think one of the things the pandemic has shown us is leaders come in many different shapes and sizes and roles. I mean, obviously there's formal titles, people who have CEO titles or chief information officers or chief uh, financial officers. Uh, you know, you could go on and on with a number of those CEO type titles. But for me, it's, you know, I think leadership really can be in, in many different areas. I think nurses often lead teams in healthcare. I think even during the pandemic, you saw many individuals step up and make masks out of their homes in their in their garages. So I do think the beauty of leading is that leading, it's really all about your aspiration to lead. I mean, yes, there are certain pieces that make the DNA of leadership, having a vision, you know, motivating teams, guiding teams, collaborating for impact. You know, there's all kinds of different things that are in the toolkit of leaders. But I think at the end of the day, it's really about your intention and how you decide you want to make a difference in healthcare. And what I love most about healthcare is there are very influential people all throughout the organization. When people ask me about what's the market size, what's your market penetration for leadership? I said, I would have no idea because I don't know what's in the minds and the hearts of, of the individuals who are working in healthcare. And I think anybody who really has the intention to be a leader can be a leader. It's really all about that. Yeah, I love that. I love that. I mean, sometimes leaders are, you know, kind of thrust into that position without them even wanting to go for it because it's just the what happened on in their ward. You know, obviously we've heard many stories of natural disasters that shut down power places and, you know, a frontline healthcare worker takes the leadership role right. as necessary. Right. Um, so those are great stories. You know, we've learned a lot over the past several years in the pandemic, and I think this year has been particularly difficult for health systems and hospitals as the funding sort of dried up. And obviously, we know about rural healthcare systems shutting down. What are some of the key trends that, that you'd like to get across to our audience, many of whom are current and future healthcare workers, but also leaders, as we just mentioned? What's top of mind for you all as far as, as, far as 2023 is concerned? Well, you know, 
we are educators at heart. So we're a, we're leadership cultivators. So, you know, you, you can't ignore the bread and butter issues of healthcare. Yeah, there, there's an old adage in healthcare, uh, no margin, no mission. You have to have your doors open in order to serve the, the community good. So uh, financial challenges, I think, are still very much front and center for healthcare leaders. But when I talk to leaders nowadays about their three biggest challenges, they always say workforce, workforce, workforce. And I'm sure you've heard others comment on that in your own podcast. So that's all about nursing shortages, technical shortages for respiratory therapists, occupational therapists, physician shortages. And so I think what that means is that we are really challenged to think differently about the care delivery models we have today and really reinventing them. I think it's also fair to say that people are tired and they're burnout. So this idea of, you know, really building back people's resilience, uh, making sure that organizations are paying attention to that. So we, we have a lot of different types of, of knowledge products because people learn in different ways. Some people want to learn from articles. Some people want to learn in virtual learning. Some people want to learn in in-person. I know it's hard to believe, but people still do come to in-person learning. Uh, but it's also about your network. And I'm a big fan of building networks because I do believe that, you know, when the pandemic sort of waved through the country, you could see the network alive and at work because the people in Seattle and New York were teaching the other people what they were learning about treating um, COVID and then how you hardwire innovations across the board. So I think there's a lot to learn from each other, but there's also a lot to learn, you know, from some of the best minds in the country. And we have many of those on our faculty. Yeah, that's fascinating. And, and I had other, other questions to ask you before this, but since you mentioned kind of the different teaching and knowledge products, you know, if you could snap your fingers and teach any group of people in the world, it could be frontline healthcare workers, it could be the general public, any topic, whether it's a video or a course or a book, what who would you teach and what would you teach them and, and why? Well, I, I still believe leadership starts at the top. And if the top people aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing, yeah, that that has a ripple and a cascading effect throughout the organization. You get one person to stand for the right things in an organization, and you can see culture and hearts and minds open up in new ways. So I'm still a big fan of, you know, it may not be popular to start at the top of the chain, but I still believe that that's, if, if you can get a CEO or some type of thought leader, a minister, or, you know, someone who's leading a healthcare system to do the right things, you will see a ripple effect that will affect thousands, if not, if not potentially millions in the right way. And that has implications not only for positive patient outcomes, but also for helping people amplify their influence across, across other avenues. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's a ripple effect as well. And that applies for both positive examples and negative examples as far as culture. It does. Yeah. For sure. Who are some of the people who've inspired you the most, whether they're living in healthcare or whether they lived in the past as far as leadership goes? Well, I've been fortunate to have good mentors. My predecessor who ran ACHE for many, many years was a good mentor to me. And so he was definitely, but I also learned a, a lot from the staff. I, you know, I'm, I'm a big believer that, uh, you know, leading and learning go hand in hand. 
So I learn a lot from my younger professionals. I learn a lot from my board members. You can learn. I, I, I was on a trip to Grenada over the holidays. And I, I met a guy just randomly in the airport and, and we had a great talk and he turned me on to a new leadership book that he liked very much. And so, you know, you, you never know, you can be surprised in many different ways, um, people who can influence and shape you. And I think that's the nice thing. I mean, formal mentoring relationships are great. Coaches are great. But I, li I like to keep an open mind, and I think that that helps everybody learn and be open in a different way. Yeah, I agree. Uh, a lot of leading is actually listening. Yeah. And I know, you know, Mandela's dad, and he writes about this in his book, was a tribal leader and very well known for speaking last in every meeting, yeah. always speaking last and just yeah. listening and, you know, being having that quiet confidence yeah. of, of leadership, which is one style. I mean, there's many different styles. I have a similar story to when when we used to use tent cards at board meetings, which sounds like an antiquated practice, but we had a two-star general who was chair of the board, and he would always put on the tent card facing him, LW, LW. And I never really understood what it meant. So of course, one day I asked him and he said, well, when you're a two-star general, everybody turns to you to speak first. And so I keep telling myself at every meeting, listen, wait, listen, wait. So it's the same kind of concept. I love that. That's great. Certainly, I think also with all, all these virtual meetings that a lot of us have had to do over the past several years, there's actually statistics, there's data that you can get of, you know, who, what's the distribution of people talking and on, on these meetings, yeah. which I think helps feed feedback to, uh, to those leaders. Yeah. Hopefully they can listen more. Yeah. Um, let's switch gears real quick from ACHE to the International Hospital Federation. Yeah. Can you tell us a bit about that organization, what its mission is, membership is, and how long you've been involved with them? I've been involved with them for several years, you know, probably, I don't know, a little less than a decade. And I started actually with a special interest area of which IHF has several. You can go to the website and see what those are. But I started actually exploring what a healthcare competency global framework would look like. And so I and 22 other similar organizations like ACHE from around the world got together actually at the Pan American Healthcare Organization in Washington. And over three years, we developed the healthcare competency framework, which is really a marriage between public health clinical science and healthcare management. So, and it's interesting because I think we're seeing all of that bear out more and more as healthcare evolves and advances. But then I became a member of the governing council. The, the membership of IHF is really entities. So it's healthcare organizations, ministries of health from around the world. And there are about 50 active as well as individual hospitals who come together to really try and share best practices understand how we can help and, and support each other and really explore this notion of developing and strengthening our global leadership community. Yeah, absolutely. And what again, one thing we learned from the pandemic and certainly on the podcast is we focused on global health and had people like Dr. Sheila Davis, who runs Partners in Health yeah. on the podcast. Yeah. I'm sure you know her. Yeah. Is how interconnected we all oh are, my right? So, some, you know, some that starts in a in a city in China can then start on start on the world over the next year. Certainly, strengthening and sharing best practices and having leaders, you know, basically admit of ministers and health systems visit each other makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I wanted to also ask you about kind of your focus on diversity and health equity, because that's an exacerbating issue. Obviously, during the pandemic, a lot of social justice came to be. 
but also this knowledge that based on what zip code you're in, you know, what, what zip code you live in, your health outcomes can be very different, not just from COVID, but from, you know, just even having a baby, maternity statistics. And even during COVID, several large health systems and hospitals in rural settings have sh shut down. So the health equity is much harder yes. to achieve, which is giving an opening to like Walmart. We had our chief medical officer on a couple of weeks yeah. ago to step in and help provide healthcare in those rural settings. Tell us a bit about you know, what you do with the Institute for Diversity and Health Equity within the AH, or which is I know is affiliated with AHA. Like what is, what's the goal and like any commentary you have on diversity and health equity? First of all, ACHE in and of itself has had a commitment to diversity and inclusion for many, many years. Yeah, long, long before it was, you know, more popular for people to have it as part of their sort of more um, strategic plans and, and other things. In our world, in the ACHG world, it's really about cultivating workforce because 90% of our hospitals are, are, are frankly run by whites. So obviously our boardrooms and our leadership ranks don't look like the communities we're serving. So we've got a number of efforts underway to really diversify workforce. And of course, many Many, many people aren't working in supportive environments. That's where ACHE can step in and play a role. The American Hospital Association has done a lot as well. Obviously, they have an equity framework, and they're looking at really driving to equity, I would say, in a more organizational, holistic way. Leadership and management is one of the cogs in that wheel. But the equity framework, which you may be familiar with, has other components as well, you know, making sure you're measuring, you know, what patient disparities look like, making sure you know where those, you know, high-risk populations are, making sure you've got systems to get services out, et cetera, et cetera. So, I mean, it, it is a complex problem, but I'm also a believer that you have to be able to influence where you can influence. And in our role, that's really about cultivating diverse leaders and giving them a home and giving them the support that they need to really advance their careers. And we've had some success at that. Yeah, that's great. I mean, that's certainly something we, we pride ourselves on Elsevier is making healthcare truly inclusive. So it's good to hear that's been such a commitment for ACHE for, yeah, for many years. Definitely. I know we're coming up on time, so I did have two other questions for you. Yeah. The first is, you know, You've mentored personally, but also through the work at ACHE and other organizations, thousands of healthcare leaders. You know, speaking to our audience, what advice would you give to them about meeting the challenges of this moment in their careers and, and, and going into a, a world that's being been shook in the last couple of years? Yeah, well, despite the fact that there is some doom and gloom in healthcare, I'm enormously excited about the future of healthcare. I think the opportunities are endless. And I think all of these new efforts that are underway, these new innovations, new partnerships with Walmart or CVS or innovations that other entities are doing, you know, AI, all, all the other advancements that are going on, I think are extremely exciting. But I also think, you know, in addition to just being an overall sponge and getting as many experiences as you, as you can under your belt, I think you really do have to be mindful and thoughtful about what you want to do. Truth be told, I didn't have a career plan when I started out. I never thought I would be a CEO. Yeah. 
and, and had I really sort of put my mind to it, I might have had a more deliberate career path. So I would say, don't let your career happen to you. You know, definitely own it and control it, direct it so that you can not only have the right balance in your life, you know, and have a life, but also that you achieve what you want, want to do to achieve your highest potential. I also think early careers have a lot of resources available to them that they may or may not know about. Our local chapters are one great way to get involved and build your network locally. But volunteering for, you know, local boards, local community groups, you know, one thing that uh, I'm well aware of is a lot of people need help. So really just sort of getting some experience under your leadership belt, gaining knowledge, gaining experiences, building your network, and really being intentional, I think are really important things to keep in mind as an early careers. That's awesome advice. Thank, thanks for sharing that. And certainly we'll make sure that our audience, we're, we're putting a compendium of the 350 guests we've had and their advice. And I think that that, that that earns a spot in there. My last question, is there anything else that you want our audience to know about you, about the healthcare system, about any of the organizations you're involved with as parting words? I just think, you know, your ability to influence things nowadays is really an open book. Uh, and, and I know it seems sometimes people feel powerless to make change. And I would just encourage people to think about the change they want to be and, and go after it. Um, you know, it, this is a time when we need a lot of new creative talent and, and seeing what the next generation has in terms of really applying their hearts and minds to the important problems we have in healthcare will be fundamental to our success. The paradigms of the past are cannot predict the future. We, we need different ways of thinking. We need new ideas. And again, I'm, I'm looking forward to working with that, with that, you know, what, whoever comes next. And I wish everybody the best of success in pursuing their dreams. Uh, I'm sure many of our listeners will be or are members of ACHE. So appreciate not only you taking the time to join us today, Deborah, but more importantly, the work that you've been doing over the past several decades to raise line and strengthen our healthcare system. Cool. Thanks so much for having me today. You're welcome. And thank you to our audience for checking out today's show. And remember to do your part to raise line and strengthen our healthcare system. We're all in this together. Take care. If you like this podcast, please share it on your social channels. You can also subscribe to the series and check out all of our episodes at osmosis.org slash raise the line podcast. Thank you.